Well, hello and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner, your host with you again today. Our theme, our topic for the day today is conscience. Not consciousness, but conscience. And even those of you who may be actively studying the development of consciousness uh, may be surprised at how rarely, if ever, the concept of conscience is mentioned in wisdom studies. But conscience is one of those things that becomes accessible as you expand your awareness or your consciousness. It's one of the benefits of being more conscious or more aware, to be in touch with your conscience. Everybody's got one. It's just lots of people get too stressed disconnected, uh, overwrought, overstimulated, and in the monkey mind of distraction and ideas competing for your attention, it's not uncommon for people in this day and age to lose touch with their conscience. Their sense of right and wrong, but I think as you'll discover today, even more than your sense of right and wrong, for this leads to a bit of a discussion anyway on the nature of intuition as well. The word conscience is even spelled funny. It doesn't look like what it is. And again, I am personally rather startled at how little we use the word or how rarely the word is ever even seen in written text or in spoken language. Um, the word is spelled C-O-N, science, as if the derivation is with science. Uh, I don't know the etymology or the, or the real derivation of the word. I've got a giant dictionary that tells me such things, but it's still in storage. I don't have access to it right now, so I didn't get a chance to do that. It could have gone online, I suppose. But... That's how I remember how to spell it, C-O-N, and the word science, as if, you know, C-O-N is a prefix that often means with or alongside science. So conscience, of course, for many of us in my generation, and I think younger people as well, brings up images of the great sage Jiminy Cricket, as I said in my newsletter, the wisdom, the wit and wisdom of Jiminy Cricket. I don't know how long it's been since you've seen that um, Pinocchio production by Walt Disney from years ago. And he's, he, it's part of the Disney magic, the whole idea of you know Pinocchio wanting to be a real boy. It's like the story of the Velveteen Rabbit or if you're a Star Trek fan, you remember Data always wanted some emotional programming so he could be real. And the Velveteen Rabbit learns in that classic story that the way to be real is to love. And Pinocchio's the same thing. He's been telling too many lies, though. So he's got to redeem himself if he's going to be a real boy. And, of course, a happy ending he is. But this little cricket, Jiminy Cricket, is his conscience, his guide. I must say that I also remember the scene in uh, 
Oh, gosh. How, how many years has it been since Animal House was released? John Belushi and Friends in Animal House. And, and there's that great scene about one of Belushi's uh, uh, fraternity brothers, a freshman, somebody just getting rushed into the fraternity, uh, gets drunk with a girlfriend and has a little debate with an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder. And, and uh, the angel and the devil, one on each shoulder, uh, argue their case into the fellow's ear. That, that's another example of having access, the angel in this case, to a higher consciousness, to a conscience, to a discernment of what's right and what's wrong. Now, I think the most important point that I want to make today in the Mystery School about this, I can make right here uh, at the top, which is that access to conscience, to know the difference between right and wrong, but to go beyond simply the either-or, and to know the variations and permutations and, and combinations. Life is not always so clear-cut that we can easily distinguish the right thing from the wrong thing. They're not always opposite. Sometimes they're right next to each other in the middle. And you've got advantages and disadvantages of making one decision over another, which has different advantages and different disadvantages, but it's all pretty close, and, and you're having a hard time figuring it out. What do you do? Access to conscience to know right from wrong, good from bad, the best from the worst, or the better from the not so good, is like access to consciousness. Because again, conscience, I'm arguing, is a function of an expanded awareness or heightened consciousness. Access comes from feeling safe and relaxed. It's really that simple. Conscience, like expanded awareness or consciousness, is really a higher brain function that we lose access to when the brain, I'll say, subconscious mind, the innate intelligence of the body, you choose the model. But when that sense of self feels endangered, stressed, overstimulated, in order to prepare for survival, to go into that fight-or-flight response, it has to give something up. There is a trade-off or a trade-out. And so even if the danger is imagined rather than real, clear and present danger, or even if you don't feel endangered but just rather confused and overstimulated, the brain changes gears in a sense. It literally moves toward the center, the old brain, the animal brain of your physical gray matter. In other words, in terms of blood flow and electrical activity, the, the part of the brain called the limbic system takes over. This is accomplished through the part of the brain called the amygdala, and we experience a reaction or a response from the amygdala that says, I'm confused, I'm overstimulated, 
I don't know what's going on, and I'm starting to feel a little frightened. I think there's some potential for real danger here. So the blood moves to this limbic area of the brain. You become, we become, increasingly animal-like. We lose the higher brain functions. Not only does blood flow to the limbic, the old area of the brain, the center of the brain, if you will, but in terms of electrical activity, that's where we reside in this fight or flight, everything or nothing, win or lose, either or kind of a place. And the idea of a third way, of a middle, of a alternative to everything or nothing, to variations and permutations and combinations and degrees of difference, all of that is lost because... And with it, conscience, right? Because our job in a situation like that is to help the human survive. So that's about fighting and running, or fighting and then running, or running and then fighting, or whatever. It's pretty basic. It's either or. And you're either with us or against us. And the the real hazard here is that you lose all of your choices, you lose your options, and you begin to think that all differences are opposites. Now, if the danger is real, that's fine. All right. If the, if you're experiencing real clear and present danger, okay, let's give up the higher brain function and uh, even give up access to conscience and consciousness and expanded awareness to deal with the crisis at hand, and I'm either going to fight or run. But in our lives, most of what causes us to feel overwrought or or stressed or overstimulated is not any real danger, but just the excessive stimulus and the powerlessness of the lifestyle in which we live, the facelessness of technology, the feeling that we don't understand. I mean, we use microwaves, and who can tell you what's going on inside a microwave? Uh, Who among us really understands the computer? We're appliance operators. We can type on the damn thing, but you don't know what's going on inside that. Most people don't have any idea at all. Don't even want to know what's going on. Well, okay, but that tends to create a sense of powerlessness and victimization. It adds to the overall stress. And again, we lose access to higher brain functions, including our theme for the day today, expanded awareness, and in particular, conscience, to know right from wrong and to discern the better from the not-so-good, particularly in your situation. Fortunately, we have learned handed down throughout the ages, but never more needed than today. A wisdom, an understanding, insight about how to manage ourselves in this situation. How to recover, so to speak. And to look around from your either-or point of view and realize that the stress that you're experiencing is about confusion Uh, and and feeling overstimulated, but there's no real danger here. That our experience of danger is almost exclusively from the past, 
the future. The truth is that we, in spite of our failures and our weaknesses, are safer as individuals and as a species than we've ever been before. Yes, I know about global warming, and I know about the nuclear arms race and, and uh, acid rain and economic collapse and, and all the crises we face, but in terms of real, clear, and present danger, you're pretty darn safe right now. Now, there are some fears from the past, regrets and resentments and concern that it might happen again, and that gets projected into the future. But part of being in the now, which is core Eastern philosophy, Eckhart Tolle has written a book, The Power of Now, to be in the moment is to be in what's real and what's true, is right here, right now. And I am safe. And I have the ability, listen to this now, to substitute a relaxation response for the automatic fight-or-flight response. Why? Because it's more appropriate. And I have decisions to make. This is not simply fight-or-run, fight-or-flight. And the idea that all differences are opposites is not going to serve me unless the danger is real, clear, and present. The idea that all differences are opposites, uh, you know, uh, uh, the jingoistic shoot first and ask questions later, or kill them all and let God sort them out is what happens when we lose our awareness and our conscience as a result of being overstimulated, stressed, and anxious, you see. But to say, wait a minute, I am stressed, I'm overwrought, I'm hyper-stimulated here, I'm feeling like there's danger, but as I look around, it's not really danger, it's the anxiety, the stress, and the fear it comes from being confused. And at the center of what you don't know is the self. Not only are we confused about other people and the world around us, but the real crisis is, I don't know what I want, and I don't know what to do, because I don't know the I that's doing the asking. I don't know the I am. And the way to know the I am, to access consciousness, to develop that awareness, and the conscience that is our theme for the day today is to substitute a relaxation response for the fight-or-flight response. And then the bias that comes with being overstressed, which is that all differences are opposites, is replaced by an ability to appreciate the differences, the variations, and the combinations, and the permutations to find the rainbows between the black and the white. And again, when this happens, and there's really three things you need to do to, to expand your awareness and to get access to consciousness. One is close your eyes. If you can't close your eyes because you're at work or you're in a public place and <laughs> People are really not allowed to close their eyes. And you sit on a park bench and close your eyes, somebody's going to come and see if you're okay. They're, or maybe they'll steal your wallet or your purse or something. You know, it's not okay yet to close your eyes in public. Uh, it's sort of bizarre. But if you fix your gaze gently and don't move your eyeballs 
and then soften your focus so that you reduce the stimulus that's coming in through the eyes. It's almost as good as closing your eyes. All right. The second thing is slow, deep breathing. This is even more evidence that you may be stressed, but you're not in any real danger. If you were in danger, not only would your eyes be open and focused, but the pupils would be dilated, right? And your breathing would be rapid and shallow, or you might even hold your breath, okay, or hyperventilate. And then the third message that you're really safe and that the stress is about what you don't know about yourself and what you don't know about your life rather than any immediate danger is, especially as you exhale, you feel the letting go of muscular tension. Do you see how these three messages impact the self in such a way as to say, well, yeah, I'm still stressed and confused, but I'm not in any immediate danger. I, I don't need a fight or flight response. I need a relaxation response. And the most amazing thing happens. And we can see pictures of this now with MRIs and CAT scans. The blood and the electrical activity that was confined to the old animal brain, the limbic system, now begins to flow into the neocortex, into the higher brain, the part of the brain that surrounds the limbic system that animals don't have access to and that I'm afraid too many of our human beings don't access consciously either. The higher brain functions and it's as if we're pulling uh, pulling out, um, how can I say this, as if we're opening the filter. You see, the awareness expands when you feel safe and relaxed by closing your eyes, doing a few slow, deep breaths, and then allowing yourself to feel safe and your breathing to find its own natural, easy rhythm or cadence. And then you consciously feel a letting go of muscular tension, a softening like butter on a warm day, like going limp like a rag doll. The, the brain gets those three messages. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Michael's pretty stressed here. I'm thinking there might be some danger, but he just closed his eyes. If he was in danger, his eyes wouldn't be closed, they'd be wide open, and the pupils would be dilated and focused and fixed, and the muscles that control the eye would carry their own tension. And wait a minute, now, this is the brain talking to itself, now, <laughs> with those eyes open, I see Michael breathing a few slow, deep breaths from his diaphragm. Ah, and thirdly, as he exhales, he is letting go of muscular tension. My goodness, if this were real danger, his eyes would be open, his breathing would be rapid, his muscles would be tight. Right? This is the essence of meditation or contemplation, is at least the induction at the beginning is to reassure Mr. Brain that it's not in any danger and that it can move in terms of blood flow and electrical activity from this limbic system in the center of the brain where animals live, where survival is the most important thing to the neocortex. And now, 
There's something more important than survival. There's quality of life. There is more than survival of self as a separate being. There's harmony and love and sympathy and empathy and a connection to other people. This is where we consciously choose to feel safe enough to reach out and touch somebody. Um, you know, I didn't get a chance to watch much of it today. I was just clicking through the channels and when I first got up, and I saw a replay from earlier in the week of Sean Hannity interviewing Whoopi Goldberg, and I only was able to watch two or three minutes of it, and then I had to uh, go about my business. I, I'd like to go back and, and see if I can uh, watch it, see if it's on the DVR, because she was handling him with mastery. I was watching the way Whoopi was handling this maniac, Sean Hannity, this right-wing shill, and it was sweet. I mean, it was beautiful. Why? How did she do that? She did it by feeling safe. She did it because she's confident in who she is, in what she believes, and in why she believes it. So confident that she was able to do this interview, at least the part I saw, with grace and elegance and no fear whatsoever, having already accounted for, you know, I'm going into the lion's den here. This guy's going to do his best to frighten me, to knock me off center, to upset me, disturb me, make me feel threatened. So I go into the either-or mentality, see all differences as opposites, and then he's going to create what he sees as great TV. Negativity, hostility, conflict. That's what these guys think drive the ratings up. It's not interesting. It's visceral. Well, again, as much as I saw, Whoopi was having none of that, right? And she was masterful about it. She even would throw an occasional compliment, nothing of consequence, of course, but just enough to stroke his ego. And she turned it around completely. In the few minutes I saw it was almost as if Hannity was being interviewed by Whoopi, as if it were her turf rather than Fox News. I just thought it was masterful and evidence of the kind of stuff that we can do when we're relaxed and feeling safe with our slow, deep breathing and uh, a feeling of letting go. Now all those higher brain functions come into play. You get much more creative. You become much more intuitive. And again, our theme for the day is your conscience. You're much more aware of the difference between right and wrong, between good and bad, more able to discern the variations and the combinations in the middle of things, in between the either-or. As I said before, and I used to say in my talk shows years ago, the rainbows in between black and white are only available when we consciously substitute a relaxation response for the fight-or-flight response. And those are the three ways to do it. That's why a meditation involves, in the vast majority of cases, closing your eyes, slow, deep breathing, 
at least during the induction, then you just sort of allow the body to breathe itself and a feeling of letting go. That's how you access higher brain function. You can do that um, not only when you're being interviewed by Sean Hannity, but in a variety of situations. If you're having a, a heated discussion with your spouse or your kids or your parents or somebody at work, and you can feel yourself losing it. You can feel yourself getting more endangered, more tense, and more likely to lose access to consciousness and conscience and instead act as if you're in a, a war or a battle. And, you know, the self-fulfilling nature of the mind, if that's what you begin to feel, then that's what you begin to create. Mind precedes matter. Uh, it also precedes relationship and circumstance and event. It's, it's consciousness going in that tends to create a reality and promote a particular reality. So the more endangered you feel, the more danger you tend to to uh, create for yourself. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go back and check that out, see if I can pick up on that, because I just thought she was she was playing Sean Hannity like a musical instrument. I, I tell you, it was just masterful. Uh, for example, he said to her, well, it was sort of like, why don't you love America? You know, I heard you defend Michelle Obama saying that she, uh, for the first time, was really proud of America. And without any defensiveness, you know, this was what was so beautiful about it. She said, well, I can relate to that. I know how it feels, you know, to be discriminated against. And Sean Hannity tried to say, yeah, but that was slavery, and that was many years ago. And well, if he says, no, we're not talking about slavery, we're talking about racism, right? And that's still today, and that's very real, and that's still... She came from such confidence, from such ease and grace, that she had access to all of her higher brain functions. And you and I can learn to do that, too, and practice it, okay? And get access to the expanded awareness as more choices. Now... The idea of conscience, not only is conscience a function of consciousness, the expanded awareness we're talking about here, but I think its nature is, we have to say, more intuitive than logical. Let me spend just a couple of minutes talking about the difference here, because I think this is important, too. Everything that we're taught about how to think in school, in standard traditional schooling, is logical, rational, they call it reasonable, be reasonable, get real, be rational, be logical. What they're talking about is deductive. To be logical is to be deductive, to go from general to specific, to take things apart, to be critical. To what does deduce mean? Deductive, deductible, deductive, deduce is to subtract, to take apart. If your watch doesn't work, you want to open it up and take it up. Well, maybe not, a, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Something doesn't work, you want to take it apart and look at the pieces. What is algebra? But factoring, taking this big formula apart. By doing the same operation on both sides of the equal sign, so that it's still equal, but manipulate 
the equation so that you can factor it down, deduce, to the basic element. X equals 4. Oh, I see. Whatever. When you order from a menu, most people are under the impression that they're looking for what they want for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. They're looking at the menu to figure out what they want without even realizing that the process is to eliminate what you don't want to get it down to two or three items, and then you choose what you want. But first, there is an unconscious process of deductive logic. Well, the uh, salads are out. I had a salad, big, big salad for dinner last night. I'm looking for something a little different tonight. So the salads are out. Well, I just eliminated breakfast. It's too late in the day. I don't want eggs. Uh, lunch, yeah, maybe. Dinner, I think that's too much. I'm back to lunch. Now we continue that deductive process. It, it, balancing a checkbook, the same thing. You start with your balance and you subtract or deduce what you, the checks you've written to arrive at a new balance. This is the only reasoning that most people know. It's the only reasoning or way of understanding that we've been taught. There is something called inductive logic, but few people understand it. I can give you a simple example of inductive logic, but where I'm headed is creativity, intuition, and conscience. Okay. Um, let me tell you just briefly what inductive logic is, and I think that uh, Sir Francis Bacon uh, is usually credited as having conceived of the concept of an inductive logic that is complementary to deductive logic. In other words, if, if deductive thinking, what we call logic, is general to specific, then inductive logic would be specific to general. Right? It would go in the other direction. And a classic definition that philosophy professors often use, and you may find in a dictionary or a Wikipedia someplace, is a standard if-then statement. If this is true, then that must be true. And if this is true a lot, then the, the, the uh, presumption I'm making is even more likely to be true. And the classic example is, uh, if every crow I've ever seen is black, then all crows must be black. Now the problem, that can be a valuable form of reasoning, inductive logic. Well, every crow I've ever seen is black, so until I see a white crow or a gray crow or a green crow, I'm going to assume, using inductive logic, that all crows must be black. Here's the hazard. I guess I'll bet you already know where I'm headed with this. The hazard in this kind of thinking is if your sample that you're extrapolating from is too small, then the reasoning doesn't follow. In other words, if I've only seen five crows in my life, and I say, well, if every crow I've ever seen is black, then all crows must be black. Based on the five crows that I've seen in my life, that's not a very reliable sample, is it, to be extrapolating from. 
but if I'm a scientist and I've watched crows and I've studied crows and their mating habits and their migration and I'm fascinated by crows and and I check the literature and I look at what other people have done and their studies of our crows and and of of the thousands and thousands of studies that have been done and millions of crows that have been observed, they're all black. Well, it gets increasingly safe to project, to extrapolate, and say, therefore, all crows are black. The danger of inductive logic is it becomes a substitute for reasoning. It becomes a crutch. It becomes a way of, uh, of rationalizing uh, stereotypes and uh, prejudice, prejudging and uh, that type of baseless thinking. So racism, for example, you know, uh, it's always interesting to hear racists talk about the people of color they do know that are exceptions to the rule, right? I'm a racist, but I did know this one black guy, or I knew this one Asian guy, or I knew this one Hispanic guy, you know, this is... <laughs> You can see where you can readily, in a situation like like that, see the relationship between the prejudice, the discrimination or stereotype, and ignorance. You see, it's, it's a perfect function of ignorance. So you have to be very careful with inductive logic, and if you're going to use it specific to general as a way of reasoning, of extrapolating, then. Uh, you need to be sure that you're pulling on a significant set of data, enough observation and enough study that uh, you really are working out of a comprehensive base before you extrapolate. Okay, enough said about inductive logic. Most people don't use it. Most, most people don't understand it. And reasoning is limited to the deductive process I've already described, general to specific, take it apart. Well, then, how do we get the big picture? How do we learn to see the overarching principle? Where do we get the umbrella concept or the comprehensive concept here, the scheme? Well, again, for most people, it remains automatic, if at all. Creativity is, by and large, still not taught in our schools. Uh, I think I was probably well into college and maybe already graduated before it occurred to me that I could be creative with an empirical subject like math or science. I was under the impression somehow, because creativity was never taught to me as a student, that creativity was something that they did down in the art lab, that, that the people that were drawing and painting and sculpting and singing and playing musical instruments and acting, that they could be creative, but there's no room for creativity in the science lab, no room for creativity in math. And that's because it wasn't taught. 
But of course, you can be creative in all of these areas, not just the fine arts or the liberal arts, but also the sciences as well. There's room for creativity. One day, we will teach that. And again, there are some great schools that are teaching it, even a few public schools where there are great teachers. There's the Waldorf schools and the Steiner schools and uh, other private school systems where there is much more emphasis on balancing deductive logic with creativity. But as we go a little further into this whole concept, there's a part of creativity called intuition. And this is where we find the conscience, I think, in the intuitive nature. And again, for most people, it's automatic. To be creative on demand is very different for most people than being logical on demand. You demand that I'm logical, I can be logical. Even when I'm stressed or frightened or feel endangered, I don't lose much of my ability to be logical, unless it's extreme danger and extreme stress. But the logic remains accessible. What I'm losing is my creativity, my inductive, if you will, ability to get the bigger picture. I'm losing access through increasing stress to intuition and certainly to my sense of right and wrong, good and bad, the finer variations of intuition, which is the way I'm approaching the idea of, of conscience, not just consciousness, but conscience, to be influenced by conscience and to allow yourself to be guided by conscience, conscience <laughs> is to honor, albeit subtle, the wisdom that is available to us. I've toyed with the idea of writing a book or an essay, Wisdom on Demand, because we know how to do logic and left brain thinking on demand, but most people Again, because of this defect in our schooling, you know, who's going to support a school that teaches kids to think for themselves? <laughs> That's still too subversive. We want everybody to think the way they've been taught to think, right? And if you got 40 kids in a classroom, are you going to teach people to think for themselves, to be creative, to relax and feel safe enough to access the conscience, the higher conscience, the, the consciousness rather, and the conscience through intuition, which is a realization. Again, it's specific to general, but it's almost at an unconscious level, whereas deductive thinking does have its steps and its clear delineated process of taking things apart to understand. The idea of Accessing conscience and higher brain functions, expanded consciousness or awareness, is again a process of letting go. And deliberately, consciously substituting relaxation and feeling safe, reassuring the brain that's trying to protect you from danger with closed eyes, slow breathing, letting go of tension, do it now. You can do it now. Just ah. Now, as you learn to do that, as you remember to do that, as you practice doing that in your daily life and affairs, 
you will continue to be just as logical and reasonable and deductive, general to specific as ever, but what you've added on is the complement, the ability to access consciousness and conscience specific to general and to get the big picture, to get the overarching concept. This is very valuable in school and also in real life when you don't have all the information you need. You just have some information. But by accessing intuition, these higher brain functions, expanded awareness, heightened consciousness, and conscience through intuition, you can now, uh, I talked about extrapolate, almost interpolate now. You just have, let's say, 85% of uh, the understanding you need to accomplish a task. Well, you can uh, intuit the rest. You can fill in the blanks because you've got a scheme, a context, or a concept that will help you figure out what you don't know. This is why computer programs don't come with instruction books anymore. Remember when you bought a computer or even if you bought software, you'd get the, the software on a CD and then you'd get a book on how to use it? Well, you don't get the books anymore. Why? Well, you say it's all online. Yeah, sure. But beyond that... People that write the programs have learned to write them intuitively so that the user, by using his or her intuition, instead of being logical and reasonable and deductive, or maybe better said, in addition to being reasonable and deductive, we can be intuitive and allow to form spontaneously in the mind an idea, an insight, an awareness. Well, wait a minute here, what if I did this? Oh, wait a minute, didn't this work this way? Didn't I do this? Didn't I? Wait a minute, I'm starting to get it here, and this big picture is forming. Again, this concept, or context, if you will, but this overarching umbrella, oh, comes the dawn, the light's coming on here, I'm starting to see, I'm becoming enlightened, here we go. Whether it's the dawning or a light bulb or a thunderstruck, the light comes. And with that, the quality of do the right thing. Not just the correct answer, but in a subjective sense, the right thing for you. This is the wisdom of Jiminy Cricket, right? Let your conscience be your guide. When you're otherwise confused and don't know what to do, there's a part of you that does know. There is a higher self that comes through if you would but substitute relaxation for fear. That's why love and understanding are two sides of the same coin. To understand, we have to be loving. And to love, we have to understand. Sometimes in esoteric writing, it's hyphenated as love-truth that there's no distinction between love and the truth that you're looking for. Love is the way to understand the truth. Most of us are trying to find love as if it's a destination. Love, truth is the way. Understanding is the path. All right? And the feeling safe is the means of creating that conscience, that consciousness and access to that conscience. So, 
the 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 only other piece that I need to add here is the subjective nature that conscience goes beyond simple objective understanding to a subjective quality of what's right and wrong for you in this situation and what's good and bad and what will succeed and what will fail and it should be the ultimate arbitrator of things like after you've been reasonable and after you've been creative and you're allowing your intuition now to come into play because you feel safe and relaxed let your conscience be your guide let it influence you and then practice and develop that by trusting it right what in the devil or angel uh, that we talked about in Animal House, what's the debate? It's really between love and fear, isn't it? It's not just the right answer and the wrong answer. It's like, are we going to look for the right answer from fear? That's the devil in that allegory. Or are we going to look for the right or best answer from love? Well, there's little understanding to be found in fear. It's everything or nothing. You're with us or against us. Remember Bush said, you're either with us or the evildoers. And we do the good torture. We're the good pirates. We're the good killers. As opposed to the bad killers. And conscious people struggle with that and say, well, wait a minute. I don't want to kill anybody or anything. I don't want to be a good killer. I don't want to be a bad killer, but I don't want to be a good... I don't want to be a... The good torture guy, waterboarding was invented by the Catholic Church, right? So was that good torture? I don't think so. And yet we've just been through years of being told that it's necessary. Dick Cheney said it just the other day. So we're talking not only about expanded awareness or heightened consciousness about intuition but about the quality the subjective quality of a conscience that is a function of using relaxation and feeling safe to access the intuition as a quality of realization not the deductive figure it out take it apart slice it dice it mince it into little pieces and then you'll see the answer but the complement to that, to be creative, to think with our intuition, to realize, and to find the quality of conscience, knowing what's right and wrong, good and bad, the particular variation or version that is best for you, maybe not for others, but best for you in this moment. This is a doorway to spiritual development. If that's always available to you, and it's not coming from you, it's not coming from outside of you, where is it coming but through you? And if it's always available, if that wisdom is always standing above you, it's just a matter of letting it in and allowing it to trickle down into your brain to access that conscience, to know the right thing to do. Okay. I did a private session with a fellow this week who's coming out of a long period of inordinate fear. 
didn't even know what he was afraid of, which is often the case. Uh, he's been experiencing, I won't name him so I can share a little of this without violating his confidentiality. His, his experience was that of waiting for the other shoe to drop. But on steroids, it's like uh, impending doom or pending doom, something horrible. Michael, I just can't escape the feeling that something horrible, really horrible, is about to happen. But, he goes on, I just can't figure out what it is. I, I can't identify it. It's just this horrible feeling. And... So we talked about that and the nature of what is called nonspecific anxiety or free-floating stress and how often this is just the accumulation of a bunch of stressors in, in, in confusion that in, in false assumptions from childhood, too, that all add up. And um, cr it creates this sense in the brain on an unconscious level first that filters into our awareness that we're in great danger. So part of this, he accounted for by getting guns, and he has a lot of guns. Well, the problem with having guns is when you feel like killing yourself, you've got all these guns, right? Not to mention, it's just a horrible way to live. So he wants to get rid of his guns, but then he said to me, you know, I went skeet shooting with my father, who he doesn't get along with very well, and we had so much fun, and it was such a great way to connect to him, you know, how can I, uh, how can I find the the solution or the resolution? And I said it's in the middle. He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "You have more than two choices. It's not get rid of all the guns or keep all the guns in the fear that law caused you to get them in the first place. If you like skeet shooting, consider getting rid of everything except the shotgun you use for skeet shooting." Uh, do not think of it as a way of protecting yourself from the fear. Always keep the bullets in a different part of the house than the gun. Keep it locked away and put away. I don't think he's suicidal. That's, he says he's not, so I'm not worried about that anymore. But find the middle way. That may not be the best example, but it's one that comes to mind, so I'll share it with you. So many problems when we're stuck and don't know the answer, it's because we're coming out of fight or flight, and we see it as this or that, everything or nothing, all differences are opposites, and if we had access, when we get access, through breathing and relaxation and feeling safe, the higher brain functions, we get an expanded awareness, we become more conscious and the conscience then comes in and talks about the quality of the experience, right? And I think eventually he could find a way to have fun with his father without the guns, right? Maybe they could go golf instead. So my appeal here is simply to be aware that, especially those of you who know you're smart, that there's more than logic. There's more, much more, than what we're told when somebody says, be reasonable or be rational. Think for yourself is less deductive thinking than it is creativity.
creativity, intuition, and access to conscience. Then you know the right thing to do. And just imagine what that says about who you are, about your identity. If you have available to you, in your heart, if not your mind, the wisdom, the insight that you've been looking for to understand yourself better and the best way to relate to other people, relationships, circumstances, events, the world around you. Let your conscience, Jiminy Cricket was right, let your conscience be your guide. Be influenced and trust it. It takes practice because initially you won't want to trust your conscience. In many situations it may run against the grain of what you in the left brain and the logical brain think you should do. And so the debate is often between the left brain and the right brain, between the deductive form of reasoning, the general to specific, and the subtler, more intuitive, slow down, take a breath, Michael, relax, feel safe. Oh, I'm starting to get a bigger picture here. Oh, I'm seeing I have a third choice. Wait a minute. I just thought of a fourth choice. Wait a Hold on. i got a whole bunch of choices here. And so you relax even more and feel even safer. And now you have even more choices. And that becomes this gentle upward spiral of love leading to more understanding, leading to more love as peace of mind, safety, leading to more understanding and more peace of mind, this upward spiral of realization. You have access to both of those. The logic you've got down. You went to school. You know a little bit of math and science and empirical uh, thinking, the empirical method, the scientific method, experimentation, logic, <coughs> trial and error, all of that. You're good at that. Now we're talking about trusting the other side, that that quality of wisdom a real profound big picture insight that is always available and takes no effort to access quite the contrary it's a complete absence of effort it's a, a letting go and a surrendering with slow deep breathing and a, a softening of muscles and feeling safe and relaxed that we become aware not only of our creativity and our intuition but the quality of the choices the subjectivity that is you, that's your conscience. And you might decide that what you're going to do in a particular situation is really different than what most people would do. Right? Even people you love and care about and respect, but I'm sorry, you might even say to them, but i got to do it this way. I just, I know it might not seem reasonable to you, but it's what my conscience dictates. It's a funny use of the word dictate. What my conscience dictates. Because you can disagree and ignore it. But it has an authority. And it's a doorway to a better sense of yourself. The elegance and the grace comes in going there before you bottom out. Rather than waiting until you've tried everything else and you're completely desperate and at your wit's end, 
to, to die to this higher trenchance, go there sooner rather than later with a breath and closing your eyes and letting go. It's largely emotional, isn't it? Creativity, intuition, conscience. Oh, I know the right thing to do. I can feel it. I can just feel it. And it takes practice. And I encourage you to Google the word con-science, conscience, conscience, conscience. Look it up in the dictionary. Ask a friend about it. Are you in touch with your conscience? When was the last time your conscience spoke to you? When was the last time your conscience contradicted what what you thought yes my computer what you telling me what time it is what you thought was the right thing to do you see and engender a little conversation with some friends because again this is veiled as simple a concept as it is portrayed by Walt Disney in a cartoon about Pinocchio it's not commonly discussed we don't have a very good grounding in this and I really appreciate you coming here today to give me an opportunity even if briefly to discuss the idea because again it's not a matter of developing it so much as um, just practicing and honoring gee I pushed the wrong button here I think we're going to be okay developing and honoring um, the fact that it's already there you this level of expanded awareness has always been with you, and you learn to ignore it. Little kids are in touch with it. We learn to ignore it. All right, just some of my musings on the idea of conscience, and I'd love to hear from you at this point. So if you're listening live on this eighth day of February 2009 and you're on the web, you can use the submission box on the page in front of you. Put your name first name or full name and the city where you are now and just above that a little comment or a question push the submission the sub, what's it say submit push that submit button or it won't come through and then I'll be able to uh, respond we'll do that and then in a few minutes we'll do a little visualization exercise and install this whole thing okay First of all, from Garden Grove, California, Jacques Bazinet is with us today. I think that's how Jacques pronounces his name, Bazinet or Bazinet. He says, hey, Michael, am I paying for this? I can't remember. If I gave you my bank card at some point in the past, let me know. <laughs> Thanks. Well, you're welcome, Jacques, and no, you're not paying for it. And uh, you couldn't if you wanted to. This is all free, like so much of what we do. If you're new to this, we're at two websites, theagelesswisdom.com. Got to remember the T-H-E part. After the W's, theagelesswisdom.com. That's where this webinar is uh, based, and all of the archives are under the web teleconference tab at this website, theagelesswisdom.com, and everything here is free, absolutely free. 
We have a second site with more free stuff, a bunch of programs that are available free called Finding Yourself in Paradise, uh, news articles on all kinds of human potential and personal development topics under the tab Free Stuff, and at FocusedPassion.com, this is our second site. Remember the ED here, FocusedPassion.com. You do have an opportunity to make a contribution of 99 cents a week. doesn't sound like much, but it does add up. Help us defray our broadband costs and get the word out to more people. But that's a choice. If you wanted all the Focus Passion programs that Steve and I do together for free, I'll give you those as well. If 99 cents a week is too much, send me an email. I'll make sure you get those for free, too. It's We see those as like bonus tracks that you get if you want to contribute uh, less than a dollar a week. That's the default position. We have people that are donating a lot more than that because that's who they are. and They like donating more. So you have that opportunity. But, no, all of our stuff is free. So thanks for checking in, and first time I've seen you online, I'm glad you're here. Jessica Gwynn is with us from Los Angeles. Jessica is one of my new Twitter friends, and uh, they say boomers don't text. Well, I never did much texting, that's for sure, especially with a cell phone. I don't have a BlackBerry or anything with a thumbboard, PDA, or an iTouch, and just seemed to be a hassle to text on a cell phone. But Twitter allows you to do the same thing on the web. And uh, Jessica was one of the first people to find me and follow me at twitter.com slash focused passion. Or just go to twitter.com and set up your own account. It's free, too. And then look for us by name or by the handle focused passion and follow us. It's pretty cool. And Jessica's just saying aloha with a little smiley face. And thank you, Jessica. Pleased to hear from you. Nearby in La Habra, Carol Pastel is with us as always, saying hello. And hello to Doreen. Thank you, Carol. I'll pass that along. In the high desert north of Los Angeles, uh, in Apple Valley, Don's with us again today. He says, <coughs> excuse me, would you consider... Your move to Maui, you and Doreen, somewhat a flight response to the impending societal and economic collapse uh, now looming. That's a good question. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. And the answer is no. Uh, first of all, the economy in Hawaii has always been more fragile than the economy on the mainland. Uh, unless you own a hotel or are retired and rich and bring your fortune with you, um, there's not much of an economy here. There never really has been much of an economy in Hawaii. Um, I'm able to work because I do telephone counseling, uh, because I also do seminars here. <clears throat> Steve and I recently did a seminar in Honolulu for teacher trainers, which was uh, wonderful experience. We did two days with people who train teachers to do a better job teaching students. So we were training teacher trainers in our skills and techniques. And so there are some jobs here, certainly, 
but no, we didn't come here because the economy was great. And further, it was less a flight response than a moving toward. This is a interesting concept in neurolinguistic programming. Uh, this is often discussed. Are you moving away from what you do not want, or are you moving toward what you do want? For most people, most of their behavior is the former, because we're much better at knowing what we don't want than what we do want. The danger is believing that that's a goal. To think that you're goal-oriented because you know what you do not want and can avoid it is to make a serious mistake. Knowing what you don't want is simply knowing what you don't want. So you have to move away from it. But if if you're in the middle of the circle and you don't want to be there, where are you going to go? You can go in any direction. That doesn't mean you're going to end up in a better place. It might be out of the frying pan and into the fire. We have to move, ideally, toward what we do want. And even if initially all I know is i got to get out of here, <laughs> move away from what you don't want, the idea is to reorient yourself as soon as possible, set a goal, and move toward what you do want. And thanks for asking that. That's why we're in Hawaii, because um, we can be. And uh, it's something I've always wanted, and fortunately my wife was willing to give, her to, give it a go, and uh, so far she's very happy here too. And even the cats seem to be happy. Lorelai in Tucson is with us, and she says, awesome class as always. And she shares, I have a job offer to do something that's been a lifetime dream. I want to take the offer, but I'd be giving up a good-paying job that I'm not really happy doing anymore. And the new job would pay more in the long run, but... I have to accept a pay cut for the first few weeks, for six weeks, and pass a training period. How do we follow our hearts fearlessly and give up security for happiness? Uh, peace and love to you and Doreen. Great question, Lorelai. It sounds like you already know the answer. You know what you need to do, which is take a little risk, right? And, gosh, if we play it safe and refuse to risk, uh, it's not likely that we're going to be very happy very much of the time. Happiness, uh, fulfillment, joy really requires some risk. To do it fearlessly, I think, is often impossible. But what we can do is uplift or transmute the fear into excitement. This is the secret. Don't avoid the fear or try to do this without fear. That's not courage. Risking and the courage it takes is not fearlessness. It's facing fear. It's a very important distinction. So accept that this is terrifying. Uh, <laughs> what if it doesn't work? I'm giving up a great job to, to, for a pay cut, at least in the initial couple of months, and while there's great promise, I don't know if I'm going to succeed. There's a training period involved. Of course, it is something I've always wanted to do. Lorelai, you're not going to do this without fear. You're going to do it with courage, and you're going to risk. And the best thing you can do is transform or transmute 
or uplift the fear into excitement. Now, they feel the same way in the body. Uh, from the bottom up, it's sort of like uh, your knees knock. You gird your loins, tighten your belly. You get butterflies in the tummy, maybe heart palpitations, a little higher than that, a lump in your throat. and Is that fear or excitement? Well, it's both. That's how I feel when I'm afraid. That's how I feel when I'm excited. But wait a minute, how could that be? Aren't they sort of opposites? Aren't they very, very different, fear and excitement? So what would be the quality that turns fear into excitement? It's letting go. If you hold on to the feelings, you will experience the feelings I just described as fear. If you hold on, if you carry muscular tension, you see, that's what I'm saying to you. Monitor your body for muscular tension. And whenever you find it, then your breathing will be shallow and your thinking will tend to be either orish. Take a breath. As you exhale, relax. Feel the letting go. And you'll experience those same feelings in your body as, oh boy, rather than, oh no. The only difference between fear and excitement, between being held back and motivated, pushed forward by the very same feeling, is whether you hold on to it or let go of it. If you hold on to it, fear and anxiety will oppress you. If you let go of it, it will actually be a wind at your back, support you and carry you forward. So breathe into it. Feel the letting go. Get excited. Use those very feelings that are scaring you to get excited and risk it and go for it. Right? The worst that can happen is that you completely fail, which is not likely. I doubt there's anything in your life that you've done where you were a complete failure. But let's say that happened. And you go back to your old job and you say, well, wait a minute, it's not there. I quit. Well, then do something similar. Do something better. Trust your conscience. Trust the intuition. Trust the dream. That dream didn't just come out of left field. That dream came out of a part of you that aspires to be who you really are. Trust that. Breathe into it. Step into it with a letting go feeling. Okay. In Rosarita Beach, uh, Mexico, down in Baja, been to Rosarita. Becky is with us. She says hello. Hi, Becky. Thanks for joining us today. Not sure whether you are visiting. That's a big tourist town. Or whether you live there. But in any event, nice to have you with us. In Pittsburgh, John Bowles says hi. Aloha, Michael and Doreen. Hello, John. In Irvine, California, Robert says, Hi, Michael, when I find myself in a stressful situation, <clears throat> I visualize an object that I have hanging from my rearview mirror that reminds me to relax. Take a deep breath and uh, open my mind to the bigger picture of unlimited possibilities. I came up with this idea from what I've learned in your classes Thank you for the spiritual education. It really has changed the way I look at my life and 
find myself growing and being excited about the future again. Thanks, and have a magical week. In NLP, that's called a trigger, what Robert is doing. In uh, hypnosis, they would call that a post-hypnotic suggestion. It's a way of um, remembering or reminding yourself, creating a positive association with something. Um, my, uh, my partner Steve does this with water. Right? Every time he loves water, it's the only thing he drinks. And every time he takes a sip of water, he follows it with a breath, a feeling of relaxation, and the intention, as Robert says, to wake up, <laughs> to be more conscious. And again, the catch-22 here is that's not an effort, it's an allowing, right? And uh, so that's a good idea, too. In Portland, John in Portland says, Good day, Michael. I'm enjoying the show, and I find myself revisiting the ring pass not concept during the last week. Yeah, that was our topic last week. Great. Thanks, John. He says, I'm more open to growing with the ideas on some days than others, but be good. Well, that's the ebb and flow of life, isn't it? There is astral weather, so to speak. And uh, that life has its in-breath and its out-breath in all regards, its peaks and its troughs, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, allow for that. Everything has its faces, right? <clears throat> the, the moon spins around the earth and uh, has its phases and stages, and the earth rotates on its axis and rotates around the sun, and the sun is spiraling out from the galaxy, and the galaxies are... It's It's... It's always changing. Life has its phases and stages, so don't worry about that. Account for it, allow for it, adjust for it, anticipate it, and uh, you know, do your best work when you're in the mood to. Out of San Diego, Glenn is with us again, and uh, he says, Hi, Michael. Good to be able to listen live today. Due to other commitments, I rarely get to listen live on Sunday. He listens to the replay says, thanks for the rebroadcast and all that you do. Thank you, Glenn. Nice to hear from you again. Don says, you've mentioned in the past musings about some friends years ago that had decided to move to Weed, California, as if somehow that would solve their dilemmas. Just wondering. Don following up on his question about why we came to... Uh, why we came to Hawaii. We didn't come here because we thought, uh, you know, it would change our lives. Or change. You know, often people, I think, are under the impression that where they are is even more important than who they are. And, <laughs> you know, it's like a, a Zen koan to say, wherever you go, there you are. It it's really doesn't matter so much where you are. You might as well be in a place where you're happy. I grew up in Michigan and got tired of cold weather and shoveling snow and driving on ice. It, if I could sit behind a picture window and look at the snow flurries, I was happy, but I didn't like having to shovel the damn stuff and and sliding, you know, out of control on the freeway. And I hated it, so I moved to L.A. in the mid-'70s. And uh, L.A. was wonderful, and then we moved to Hawaii, but... 
everywhere you go, there you are. It's not that important where you are. Might as well choose someplace where you really want to be and love to be. But it's who you are that is much more important. In Sargis, Tim says, I'm stuck between doing what is expected of me and my conscience that is directing me into an area that may affect my marriage in a negative way. As I attempt to live two lives, I'm suffering in both. Stuck in suburbia, longing for nature, like Jackson Brown says, caught between the longing for love and the struggle for the legal tender. Yeah. Well, I could sure relate to that. What you have here is a different dynamic because there's two of you. And if it's a real marriage, and I presume it is, um, it's more than two of you. There's this whole thing that is the marriage. And it can be a struggle. But the, uh, as little as you know, I can do for you here, this would be a great opportunity for some private telephone counseling. Tim, if you have a mind to do that, give me a call. You can find my phone number. Well, I can give you my number. My service is 818-569-3017. If you want to do some private work on this, I could help you with this. But it's not yours alone to decide. You have to work with your wife. And there's lots of little tools like write down all the pros in one column and all the the cons, the negatives in another column and have your wife do the same thing and then sit together and talk about it and share your concerns and arrive at understandings. And I think the most important thing is to avoid the either-or and, again, try to find some sort of middle ground, some permutation, go for the rainbows between the, the black and the white. And, uh, again, visualization exercise, meditation skills, all kinds of approaches, practical tools and techniques that you can use to access your consciousness, your expanded awareness, uh, your intuition, your conscience to help you and your wife decide, how are we going to handle this? How do we find the best of both worlds? The commerce of the big city and the peace and harmony of being closer to nature. Do I take the commerce into nature or do I bring nature into the city? <laughs> Where do I find that balance? It's it's like using a lever and a fulcrum. You know, a lever is just a stick until you get a fulcrum under it. But even then, where do I put the fulcrum? It was a little trial and error in tuning the best point to put the fulcrum to get the leverage that you need. And that tuning in the middle to find a little of this and a little of that, part of this, part of that. In fact, just forming the intention to do that can you open both of you up to all kinds of possibilities. I think there's a lot of people that can relate to what you're talking about. And obviously, I, I'm i sort of of the mind generally to get the hell out of town, get on some land where you can grow some food without poison, live food, real food, um, and uh, harvest some energy, you know, some wind, some warmth, where you have access to land. Most poverty comes from not having access to land. <clears throat> it's not having access to commerce. That's not the problem. 
it's not having access to the land. So, you know, if you can get an acre or two, four or five acres, my God, you can live on that. You don't think people wouldn't pay you for the vegetables you grow on just an acre? And that may not be enough, but, again, the Internet, there's broadband out there. But then again, your wife may have her own reasons. I'm sure she does. Maybe friends and family. She doesn't want to be too far from them. Work it out. And again, give me a buzz if you want to uh, do some private work on that. And Cerritos Kareem says, Michael, seems like ethics come from your conscience, from what you're saying. I think that's true. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Ethics, morality. You know, in... In this is so unknown in society <clears throat> that we have this sense that the best way to motivate people is with fear. And so we threaten them with jail or prison if they're bad. There's going to be a consequence. You'll pay a fine. You'll be arrested. Imagine we're going to suspend your liberty. We will arrest your freedom and make you pay money if you don't behave. Or the religious people come in and say, worse, you're going to eternal damnation in hell. As if I need these external threats of prison or eternal damnation in the lake of fire to get me to behave. The idea that we have internal codes, that we have a conscience, a sense of what's right and wrong, ethics and morality, I'm afraid, tends to escape the awareness of a lot of people. Or they just don't trust themselves, and therefore they project that onto other people. They don't trust other people. Um, this is the allegory of the temptation of the Christ. Christ himself is tempted. Why? What does that mean? The most evolved spirit comes into separated form, feels separated, feels threatened, feels tempted. Deal with it in the most conscious way that you can. Very good point. Good question. Thanks. And in Irvine, Kasha says, Michael, does conscience change with one's wisdom? If we believe that wisdom is something that could evolve. Yeah. Conscious. Conscience, as I'm talking about it today, is definitely a quality of wisdom. Maybe the quality of wisdom. No doubt about it. Well, I've talked myself all out of time, so here's what I'm going to do. I have a button here someplace where I can extend. Let me click on this. This will give me an extra few minutes. Here we go. And I don't have to worry about being cut off now. So let's do our guided imagery exercise. I, 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 I've never gone over 90 minutes before. We'll <clears throat> just go a little bit over now. I just want to take five or ten minutes to do a little meditation here and install this idea. Put you in touch with how to access on demand the wisdom, the expanded awareness of the true self, and the quality of conscience, ethics, morality, knowing right from wrong in a very personal way. Because, again, what's right for you might be wrong for other people and vice versa. Not to mention the whole in-between right and wrong. Sort of right, but mostly wrong. Mostly wrong, but a little right. 
or <laughs> even on the 50-yard line sometimes. Close your eyes if you would. If this is a good time for you, close your eyes and relax. Sit up straight, but you don't have to be rigid like a 2 by 4 Rather, feel balanced and aware of yourself as both plugged in to the earth, grounded, feel grounded through the sofa upon which you sit, the cushion or the floor. Maybe you're lucky enough to be sitting directly upon the earth right now. Or you could be in a skyscraper a hundred feet off the ground, doesn't matter. With your eyes closed, it's easy to imagine yourself feeling rooted into Mother Earth, feel grounded. Remembering that you're an energy being, you are an electrical spiritual being, and spirit or energy is flowing through you. You are a conductor or a medium, and it always goes to the Earth energy, like lightning, all energy, all current is looking for ground, wants to be grounded. So root yourself, even if only in your awareness of self in the earth. And at the same time, on the top of your head, stand receptive to that gentle downward impress of spirit, of energy, of the electrical current that illumines and animates you, the life force, the chi, the ki, the kundalini, the prana, the odic force, the alan, the esprit as if gently precipitating down like a gentle rain into your crown, filling you, moving through you, radiating from you in all directions as you exist between the polarities of spirit and matter. That's your position in the middle. You are the heart and soul of things. And as you sit here, enjoying this wonderful peace, feel in your body safe and relaxed. Take a nice, slow, deep breath or two, and especially as you exhale slowly, feel the letting go, the softening in your body. Allow yourself to feel a little fragile or vulnerable, trusting that this is a safe and appropriate time for you to drop your guard and lower your defenses and to sit open to the influences of the cosmos. Let it have its way with you. For as important as it is to be willful, there is such a thing as the will to love, the will to align yourself with a higher sense of purpose. 
and to stand open to the concept of what does life want me to do? What would be the best thing for me to do? Christian might say, what would Jesus do? A Buddhist might say, what would Buddha do in this situation? What's the best thing for you to do? What does destiny and providence want me to do? Where is the elegant way? It's not an effort, it's a letting go. Standing open and receptive. Wondering. We make life wonderful by wondering. Not by knowing the answers, but by wondering about questions as yet unwondered or in need of being re-wondered. I wonder. Hmm. Just an open attitude. Gentle. Reflective. For a moment, honor your intellect. Remind yourself that you're intelligent and reasonable. That you know how to be deductive. How to eliminate what doesn't work. And come slowly toward truth and understanding in your life. And that you don't need to give up in any way being reasonable and rational and logical and deductive. We're just going to now add to that an openness, a complementary receptivity that's more about the question than the answer. That's about wondering. Consider that somewhere in this magnificent, incomprehensible universe, something incredible is just about to happen. That in your life, something is right on the verge of coming in, if we but allow it. Something wonderful. It might arrive, there are times, when it might initially look like adversity. It might arise as a conflict or a problem. Remind yourself that all such conflicts, problems, adverse situations have silver linings. Every curse is also a blessing in disguise. Some way, somehow, if we but let it have its way with us initially, let it come in. Let your intuition creatively dawn upon you. Sometimes there's a slow dawning. Sometimes you experience as a light bulb pops on inside your head or your heart and you see what was there all along, but you just hadn't seen it until the light popped on. Sometimes you're thunderstruck. Rudolf Steiner says, he talks about the light that, like lightning, illumines the landscape, but also changes the landscape forevermore. 
The full range of intuition includes a quality of conscience. Let it influence you. Surrender to it. Let it come in. And as you become more familiar with the feeling of the dictums, or at least opportunities, that conscience brings you, the options and the alternatives, it'll be easier for you to trust. So it's not uncommon at all as you develop your awareness of conscience and expand your awareness of awareness itself that you feel a little nervous or a little shaky about it, a little uncertain. It's just new, that's all. So trust it. See how it works. Apply it in your life. It doesn't necessarily contradict or make wrong your logical reasoning. It seems in most cases to add to it in a new way, to bring a level of awareness and understanding that goes beyond what logic could offer in and of itself. That's what we're looking for. And it's not an effort. It's just a willingness to be open and receptive and wonder. Remember the child in you that comes forward when you wonder. And there's a kind of a, gee, golly, oh, Boy, how cool, isn't that neat that our inner child can bring to wonderment, to awe, and to the quality we're discussing today of intuition that is conscience. It speaks much more directly to who you are than anything a physical mirror could reflect or any thing you could understand about yourself through deductive logic, there's much more here. Subtle, yes, but very real. Honor it, let it in, ponder it, consider it, reflect upon it. Integrate it with logic. As you let go, as you detach and become more mindful, it's almost as if you rise above what had been your perspective of things and get a bigger picture, more comprehensive, more complete. Oh, I get it. I'm Oh, I see. <laughs> oh, look at these bits I didn't understand before. Well, that, oh, that's starting to make perfect sense now. It's a feeling more than a thought. Okay? Be influenced by. Be guided by. And learn to trust your conscience, the wisdom that perpetually stands over you is available within you and could never abandon you. You could
could never be without love, as truth, as consciousness, as wisdom, any more than a fish could find a destination that's not wet. It's everywhere equally present, and it's yours whenever you pause for a few minutes to just let it in. If there's a particular circumstance, relationship, or issue that's troubling you now, consider it in this state of expanded awareness from this elevated perspective or point of view. See what your conscience has to say about it. Most of your logic and your rational thinking will come from fear. Your conscience, your intuition and consciousness comes from love. It feels very different. It's very reassuring, isn't it? Find the middle. Find the heart and soul of your awareness. All of it. By standing open and receptive, yet grounded in the world, but not of it. And let the light come in. You'll realize. You will realize. You'll see. And even if it's just a little taste for now, tell yourself, it'll be easy to repeat this, to come back here, want to have a little more time. Even if Michael's not guiding me, I can come back here and learn to trust a little more each time. My conscience. Tell yourself that whatever awareness and insight is occurring to you now, you can hold gently in your hand and bring effortlessly with you back to the waking state. Reorient yourself to the sound of my voice. Remember the room in which you sit. Prepare in just a moment to open your eyes, telling yourself that when you do, You'll be wide awake and alert, feeling rested and refreshed with a complete memory and really wonderful insight into the exercise we're doing now. Telling yourself how easy it'll be to, to remember to repeat this and, and, and how easily you can get better and better at it like anything that you practice. And now, as it feels right for you, remembering the room in which you sit, open your eyes now, wide awake now, wide awake, alert, refreshed, rested, back in the room, ah, with a little more light than you had before, a little more insight, a little more understanding, always ready to be logical and reasonable and rational, but no longer limited to it. Let your 
intentions to your guide. You know the right thing to do as you approach the truth of who you really, truly are. Not your fears, but the love and the light. Okay? Thanks. Thanks for being with us. Hope you'll join us every week. Hope you'll share these with your friends. Again, if you go to my site at The Ageless Wisdom, click on the home page to go inside, and then select the tab that says Web Teleconferences. They're all there. I think there's 40 or 45 of them by date, by topic, along with a gadget you can use to send any of these to as many of your friends as you'd like. Uh, don't just choose them at random. Find just the right program for just the right person that you know who really needs to hear this topic or that topic or another topic. And forward. You'll see it's simple, easy, easy peasy to forward these to your friends. And then come and visit us at Focused Passion. Remember, we podcast the Finding Yourself in Paradise audio program every Wednesday. And coming up this week, Steve and I are going to do a program on romance. Doesn't that make sense? As Saturday is Valentine's Day. So we'll talk about romance. And not only the romance that leads to enduring relationships, but how to foster and maintain that romance uh, in a marriage or long-term relationship, how to keep it alive. And pay particular attention to the five styles of loving, the five different ways that people seek to have love expressed to them. Okay. And you'll find that in the upcoming audio program, Finding Yourself in Paradise, the series available at Focused Passion. Dot com. And we have a send one to the friend gadget there, too. If you can contribute just 99 cents a week, we'd appreciate that. If for some reason $4 a month is too much money, but you want 